Stark's Lounge, a podcast about business, entrepreneurship, and franchising. I'm your host, Steve Tallis, and I'm the co-founder of Stark's Barber Company, one of Canada's fastest-growing franchise systems. Stark's is an upscale and modern take on the traditional barbershop, offering men the ultimate haircut experience. One of the things that makes our stores unique is our lounge, a place where customers can relax and socialize before their haircut. My goal in this series is to talk to my guests candidly, like we're hanging out in the Stark's Lounge. I want to give listeners insight into entrepreneurship and business ownership and a behind-the-scenes look at what our company is all about. I'll be talking with franchisees within our system, as well as experts and thought leaders in the franchise industry. I really hope you enjoy this series, and please subscribe if you do. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Calvin Holland, a sales representative with the Retail Services Group at Avis & Young. Based out of Avis & Young's international headquarters in Toronto, Calvin specializes in retail leasing, sales, and consulting acting on behalf of tenants and landlords across North America. He works with a variety of tenants uh, from a range of industries, including entertainment, food and beverage, cannabis, fashion retail, and even barbershops. Calvin has extensive market knowledge and insight in the retail real estate market. I'm really excited to have him with me today to share some of those insights. Calvin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on here, Steve. Uh, always appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to start with, uh, uh, well, he, he, you know, I, I named this podcast Everything You Don't Know About Real Estate. And I think that some of the stuff, you know, most of the stuff we're going to cover today is um, is going to be a bit of a surprise to certain people. And um, where I wanted to start was with relationships. Um, you know, it's really important in the commercial space and I can preface this question by, by sharing a quick story. When I was at the ICSC show a few years ago, Ryan and I went down and we were walking around and two, you know, ex-corporate sales guys who've had a lot of experience with trade shows. And um, it was so different than anyone that I've been to because it was just tables as far as the eye could see and just people sitting down and, and, and maybe not necessarily doing deals, but like, you know, representatives presenting brands and concepts that they feel like would be a good fit um, for different plazas and developments, learning about, you know, what's out there from an inventory perspective and what new developments are coming and the landlords sharing a lot about what they're doing and, you know, a, a big collaborative type of show. And I think that, you know, another experience that, that, that I can share as I ask this question is having a franchisee who's a licensed realtor and kind of gave me the, you know, I did some poking around in the territory and I, I, I never got a call back on a few spaces. And, and I don't suspect that that's because it's an old boys club type of mentality with the landlord. I think it's about trust. Um, and, and the landlords really want to do business with the people that they have really strong relationships with, um, you know, the bigger firms and, you know, knowing that everything's going to be above board and done right, and not having their time wasted with tire kickers, et cetera. So I want you to just talk a little bit about relationships and, and all of that and how it's important uh, in the business and obviously how it differentiates so much from, you know, a residential real estate deal. Mm -hmm. So I think the relationship side of things is a huge factor in our success, especially with Starks, but other brands as well. Um, we do what are called touchpoint calls, so whether it's every month, every couple months, depending on who the landlord is on the other side. But just to learn about um, what's coming down the pipeline, what's ready, what's been delayed, 
um, any kind of conversations where let's say a tenant has approached them saying we're struggling uh, in this plaza. Uh, and so that really un uncovers a lot of those opportunities that otherwise would just not be available to anyone. So that's one side of things specifically to ICSC. Um, yeah, I wouldn't call it a, a, an old boys club by all means. Um, I think it's, it's definitely uh, relationship focused that a lot of those um, previously were um, what they'll call deal making conferences, a lot of deals were done. So you're meeting with someone and you're doing a multi package deal. So looking at four different locations across Canada or province, um, and negotiating that way. Um, since I've uh, joined the industry, I, I don't know that it's necessarily as much as a deal making so much as a deal discussion and a, a connection point to further build the relationships and just understand what each other is working on, bringing online. Um, and that's where a lot of those uh, off-market opportunities are really uncovered. Um, we have instances where uh, it's a, to your point, Steve, it's a tenant who's uh, struggling and they've got two years left on their lease. Well, normally we wouldn't call those tenants directly because it's very hard to have a conversation with a tenant um, who you're calling on them and saying, listen, is your business struggling? They don't take that too well. Uh, so typically how we approach those conversations is we call the landlords directly. We have those relationships already going and we just have those conversations with them and say, listen, we're looking in this area, this municipality or these three municipalities. Um, I know we've spoken about this in the past and your plaza XYZ have restrictions or no vacancy, whatever the problem is, but keep us in mind, um, especially, I mean, COVID is a unique example where um, I personally, and I, I, I hold this opinion myself, I don't know that it could be spread around the entire industry, but that we are um, expecting a bit of a turnover of space coming in the near future. Um, when the uh, government subsidy program is finished in terms of the COVID relief, so the uh, program where they were subsidizing 25% of the rent, or sorry, government was paying 50% of the rent, the landlord was taking 25% off the table, and the tenant was paying the remaining 25%. Once that runs out, um, it, it, it's no one has the crystal ball to understand exactly what's going to shake out. But I do imagine that some of those spaces are going to be coming back because groups prior to these government subsidy programs being made available um, were entering into individual agreements, uh, whether it was deferral agreements or abatement. Uh, and so that would be the delay of payment of rent or actually just writing off a period of rent. Um, what we are anticipating and what we've been seeing is that a lot of those groups that did enter into those deferral agreements well, now coming out of COVID, they've got to pick up that delta. So if they just went through the last year not paying net rent or even if it was gross rent, and now they've got to make that up over the next two years, well, that might be a hill that some tenants aren't able to overcome regardless of an influx of sales once everything reopens. Um, and that's somewhere where we're really anticipating there might be some space uh, coming back, maybe not large blocks at all at once. It might be a long drawn out process, but I do think that that'll have a bit of an impact on the market. Uh, and the reason why that's important, Steve, is uh, when we're looking at some of these AAA plazas, uh, to your point earlier about your residential franchise or residential agent franchisee who wasn't getting a call back, where that can actually just happen, like not to say it doesn't happen to us. I mean, it can in, in rare circumstances, but 
we find that um, when they're busy and they have low vacancy and they've got hundreds and hundreds of phone calls coming in because now everyone's exiting the downtown core and is trying to locate in these suburban AAA plazas, um, they are being what we'll say more picky with who they're responding to. Um, so even though a unrepresented tenant might have an amazing concept, perfect for the um, plaza, if they're not able to successfully pitch that on a voicemail and, and, and have the leasing representative for the landlord fully understand the magnitude of how perfect that concept is for the plaza, they may not get that call back and they may not be able to push that forward to the next step and they might lose out on those opportunities. And so what we yeah, do, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah, you have to appreciate the fact that you know they're they're going to be careful about how they spend their time and their resources, and um, you know you got it's 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 a game of getting traction realistically, right? It, in in a crazy like again drawing another analogy from the housing market in a crazy housing market where there's auctions and and blind bidding, you know everybody at least gets to throw their bid in, but. There's a lot of cases in commercial where you just don't get any traction with the landlord for exactly the reason that you're talking about. Yeah, no, completely. And I think uh, <laughs> I won't speak too much on the residential uh, boom that's going on. I personally think it's unsustainable, but I will leave it at that. Um, in terms of the commercial side of things, you're absolutely correct. I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head. We are um, not only the ones that get you in the door and just get that conversation rolling, um, we handle the whole process from there on out, uh, really from the beginning till the very end. Once the lease is signed, we will hold the franchisee's hand the whole way and make sure that they're comfortable throughout. Uh, but really, to your point, Steve, just opening up that door and making sure they're at least at the table so they can put their hat in the ring and say, listen, we're interested. Here's an offer. Doesn't mean that 100% of the time we're getting those offers across the finish line. They may end up going another route. Uh, but at least knowing that you're at the table and able to submit is definitely a big win. Yeah. And I think that, like, in reference to what you were saying about COVID, a lot of people have felt like, you know, the can has been kicked down the road. And, um, you know, what we're, we're going to see some interesting um, transitional periods that, 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 that you know, are going to happen. Who knows? Maybe, first of all, like you said, when the subsidies and that stuff starts to wear out and then moving forward. And I think also to that point, you know, the consumer has kind of been reborn. So it's like, you know, how did the businesses who may have been struggling and businesses overall adapt to the, the changing consumer. And so then, you know, we get back to business a couple months later. So the subsidies run out and then, you know, are, are you, are you hitting home with the consumer and how they've changed and meeting their expectations or not? But that's, that's a whole different conversation. So let's get into the deal. Um, you know, again, going back to the whole residential commercial thing, I think people are so used to buying houses and the formalities that come with it. But like you said, it's very quick, right? Like a little back and forth on price and, and then, you know, maybe some stuff on closing dates or, or whatever that's considered minor. And then, you know, you, you get a deal done that, you know, that day and the inspection gets done. The agent takes care of the paperwork, sign here off to the lawyer for closing. And, you know, it's a really standard procedure. It's almost like as quick and easy as, as, as so many other things that we do in life and the deal is done. And then in a commercial deal, there are so many moving parts and so much legwork that needs to be done. Um, all of this can really affect your business in your future, right? So, so obviously force measure comes to mind, which is something I want you to talk about in relation to COVID. Um, but I want you to touch on, on like 
other things like demo clauses and anything else that you can think of that like the average person is not even thinking about you know, going into it. So it's like, I just bought a franchise. I'm leaving the corporate world or what have you. I've never done a commercial lease before. Here we go. I'm thinking about price. I'm thinking about term. And then that's probably it. And then like dive into the stuff that they are not thinking about. That's so critical and speaks to the value that you guys bring. Absolutely. So the absolute biggest point is the paperwork involved um from my understanding a residential transaction is almost entirely done on the standard mls forms it's very basic you insert uh, pricing timing deposit amounts and maybe some conditions and other things environmental or inspection and that sort of thing very short very quick and easy easy to draft submit and get done quickly um, on the commercial side of things it's a lot more challenging because every single landlord uh, wants to work on, sorry, I shouldn't say every single, most landlords want to work off of their individual paperwork. And what that means is all of their standard clauses differ from someone else's. And when you get into these situations, when you're negotiating these, having someone who understands um, if, because something can be written 20 different ways uh, and you might interpret it a number of different ways, and so having a, a group like us on your side, you can really, uh, we call it the safe pair of hands. You know that we understand the language. We go through these agreements start to finish. We walk the franchisees through each uh, one individually because it's such a difference from uh, what we submit originally, which is our standard paperwork with Starks. Uh, we have an initial call with the franchisees, walk them through all of our clauses. So they understand what they're putting on paper and what they're offering to a landlord. But what eventually ends up happening is the landlord transfers that over onto their paperwork. And there's now a whole new set of language that uh, can get quite confusing and uh, quite legal, uh, to be honest. So we always recommend that a lawyer is involved, at least at the stage of just approving of the terms and conditions. And that can happen during the conditional phase. Um, but we always look for a lawyer just to review and, and make sure everything's tip top and, and they're hundred percent on board, especially as we move into the lease documents. Um, legally, we are not able to take on that sort of liability. So what we do is we'll do the review of the entire lease, make sure that the business terms from the offers are incorporated. Um, but then from there, it's really up to the lawyers who uh, negotiate some of that legal jargon back and forth and really go up against the landlord's lawyer to, finalize the remaining terms that aren't material such as like business terms so rent timing that sort of a thing yeah so and 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 like let's talk about you guys combing through it and a couple of recommendations you can make because i can think of a few off the top of my head no, number one is is this force majeure which is something that in the past was completely lost in terms of like protective language against like acts of god and obviously like in toronto we don't have hurricanes and such and you know, we, we get business interruption insurance, what have you. And then the pandemic comes along and it changes everything. And so, yes, a lawyer is an expert in that language, but you guys are actually experts in what is being accepted out there in the market and the type of, of, of uh, force measure um, deals that are getting done. So you can even consult with the client on that respect, right? And say like, you know, here, here's, here's, Here's the type of uh, language that that tenants are getting in their leases to protect themselves from the virus, right? Mm -hmm. So we 
Um, the force majeure clauses are typically handled during the lease stage. It starts getting into more of the um, the what ifs. Um, we're trying to protect the clients for what we know, uh, what is readily available to us and what we can, know we can protect them for. Because on the flip side, a landlord's lawyer will never agree to a clause that is just speculative. So if in the event a, another pandemic hits and we are shut down like even for one day, we want full rent abatement for a period of time. Landlords, lawyers won't agree to that because it's not something that has been seen and the language doesn't really, um, they don't speculate with this language. So they only insert things that they know are um, potentially have happened in the past or may just based off of where we're headed in the near future. Uh, so what we do rather than a force majeure clause and it kind of does the same thing, we insert what's called a pandemic language clause and that's specific to the actual pandemic and the delays caused by government shutdowns, um, whether that's a stay-at-home order or as we peel out of phases two, three, et cetera. Um, there are different stages where construction opens up fully. Uh, luckily, we haven't had too much of an impact on the commercial side of construction. There have been a couple uh, delays in it. Actually, the um, biggest delays we're seeing is the actual delivery of materials um, and also getting permits and that sort of uh, those sort of answers from the city. Everyone's working from home, so things are delayed. Um, but in terms of that pandemic language, what it's essentially used for, um, and everyone's standard language differs a bit. So I'll use the most uh, widely accepted example of what we would put in there for pandemic language. And that's to state that if prior to possession, so that lead time, so after we sign a binding offer and you know that there's a legally binding contract in place where you can start spending money and a group just can't turn around and say, you know what, I'm not interested in this anymore. You start spending money and let's say we have two months of lead time prior to you take uh, a, a franchisee taking possession and starting their build out. Well, if during that two months, the government shuts down and they're not answering any permit requests or anything like that, well, you can't move forward and kind of, be ready for uh, when you take possession and then you're essentially eating into a fixturing period without able to do any work. So the language that we use uh, protects the franchisees in that standpoint so that if a um, delay happens prior to possession, the fixturing period is actually, or the possession date is pushed out by the same number of days as the delay. So if it's shut down for 30 days and you're expected to take it in two months, you just tack on another 30 days in between that time period and you're hitting the ground running a month later. If it happens during the fixturing period where there's a shutdown, the fixturing period is just extended for the same uh, number of days of the delay. So if it's a five day shutdown and your fixturing period was 90 days, now it's 95 days. And that way it's a, it's, it, it tackles things as they um, come up. So you're not putting into speculation that there's going to be a 60 day shutdown. And when a 60 day shutdown comes in, we need 60 days back or 80 days back, or whatever that number is. So this is just, it's moving language that kind of reacts to how bad uh, COVID is getting. So if delays start dragging on for multiple months, um, you're protected on that. And landlords are pretty amenable to this language um, because it doesn't set anyone up for success uh, to have a tenant who may not have a uh, deep pockets or a, a strong balance sheet. Maybe it's their first uh, Starks location or any kind of business. And they are um, working through and doing everything that they can to open. Well, it doesn't help the landlord if their tenant is has to pay rent on space they can't make any money off of because then the landlord just knows they're weakening their back end and their financing and 
So the landlords are, are, are much more willing or not more willing, but they do agree in, in most cases to work with us on that language because they understand that these types of costs just can't be borne by one group. Everyone wants to see everyone succeed within reason. They're not going to sit there and just uh, let you say, you know what, I, I think I had a COVID delay, I need another week. They do make you take necessary steps to prove the delays, prove that you did everything in your power to um, try to mitigate those delays. And as long as the tenants are doing that and actively communicating to landlords, it's generally a pretty smooth process from what we've seen. Yeah, and it's a very fluid situation. And, you know, both sides are working together. Um, you know, things things end up working out. So we had we had franchisees, you know, clients of yours who were pod committed before the pandemic even hit and hadn't even finalized the deal. Some who had begun construction, others obviously who have done deals in the pre in the past year or so. Um, to become new new franchisees of ours, and they each require, you know, the right approach. So, so yeah, having the right professionals on on your side as as a listener here, you know, take that away. Uh, the the right lawyer, especially like this type of language, is going to protect you in the long run. Um, you know, I remember one of the deals that we did was in a plaza, and the landlord, who's a great guy, um, and it was it was an independent landlord. And he was demoing the, the, the building next door and building on it. And we said, well, what if you do that to ours? And we sat down, we had a reasonable talk. And it basically came down to, you know, a, a really great discussion that, that landed us with um, a, a year's notice um, and, and, and a check for like 150000 um, to help us kind of redo the leaseholds and stuff. So, so again, like something that, you know, fully insulates you from a scenario you wouldn't think of, whereas like no one is ever going to come to you and demo your house. Um, and I'm sure there are like rare cases where land gets expropriated and stuff, but, but I mean, like reasonably speaking, like that happens in the business world. So I want to talk about incentives because we're, we're, we're talking about the deal. Um, I think that, you know, people don't really sometimes even know that there are tenant incentives. Um, one of the big things that I think that gets overlooked when people are thinking about starting a business and building their business plan and they're modeling their cash flows and, you know, their capital costs, and they're not even really understanding that in certain circumstances, a landlord might pitch in on some of the construction, there's going to be, you know, uh, some upfront net free rent. And I want you to talk about that. Um, but it just it reminds me of financing where like, people just don't understand small business financing and the environment, what it's like to borrow what the programs are, how they're government backed. And then when they figure it out, this light goes on above their head. and They're like, Oh, my God, I could start a business and avoid like, someone foreclosing on my house or something, you know, awful happening if it doesn't go well. And so that's usually like one of the big drivers that pushes people to consider buying a business. But when they actually start projecting, I think like in my experience, like none of them are thinking about some of the incentives that they'll get when they make the deal. And that's important for them to dump into their model. So talk about like net free rent, general tenant incentives and, and kind of what you guys expect, how you approach it and, you know, just, just dive into it. Absolutely. So I think one thing just to lead off here that's really important for uh, new franchisees to understand is the value of the lease in some circumstances over a 10 year period is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so some groups are hesitant yeah. to spend, spend the money on lawyers. Some groups are, they want to save dollars and say, you know what, like we trust you and all this. Our advice to them is like look at the entire value of the lease and look at what you're about to spend on a lawyer. And so if it's one or 2% of the entire value of the lease to know that you are protected to the utmost possible uh, magnitude, 
that's a really good way of, of showing these franchisees, to your point, Steve, the potential of not having the proper representation in front of you and potentially opening you up to a world of pain or additional cost if you don't catch them. So that can be things like management fees. Could, could, couldn't agree more, Calvin. And I, I, I tell franchisees, prospects, especially the story all the time, it's what we did with our first location. And we ended up in an arbitration with our landlord, which I can tell you is a very costly, time-consuming and stressful process when you're trying to ramp up your first business and an unforeseen cost like that pops up. Um, and, and so I've lived it and I preach it. Uh, just wanted to jump in and say like, absolutely great kind of start to the, uh, to the answer for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then going into, uh, because we do have some fees involved on our side of the uh, real estate transaction, groups always like to understand what we bring to the table, um, where we save them money, where we provide them value. So I think we've gone over a lot of the preamble, all of the tours and uh, sourcing locations and that sort of a thing. But really, when you get into the deal structure, working with a group like us, um, to your point, Steve, there are those hidden incentives, which aren't just being offered to groups. In some circumstances, they are. If they're struggling to lease something um, and they want to spur some uh, movement on the property, they might throw out a tenant inducement package or um, we're offering the first month net rent free or that sort of thing. Those aren't that common, um, especially in this market where uh, suburban plazas are kind of hitting those really low vacancy rates because there's just been a uh, an increased amount of demand for those types of spaces. Landlords aren't just readily offering those out to groups. So when you work with a group like us um, or generally all of the uh, reputable commercial real estate agents, they understand uh, what incentives are what we'll call market standards. So um, every market differs. Uh, and so this is where having the right representation in these markets is really important. Uh, but you have to do your homework and understand that if the unit beside you just got three months of base rent free, which is the net rent free period. So that's after the fixturing period. Um, they got a tenant allowance involved. They got um, additional protection. So maybe it's a little more aggressive pandemic language in the favor of the tenant. Uh, there are all these other points that you can push on. And if you know that the space beside you, uh, beside the one you're looking at got these things, you can go to a landlord and say, well, listen, like, I, I, we can't go back to our client and say, unless it's a specific example, I mean, units are built out differently. So this kind of gets into the, um, it's, it's a long-winded answer for kind of a undefined, or sorry, a long-winded response to an undefined answer. Um, it, it really takes a, it's a whole conversation. So you have to understand um, what the type of spaces you're looking for. If you're looking at a turnkey uh, former barbershop for a Starks, well, the landlord's not going to sit there and go, you know what, you need $20 per square foot more, you need more time to build out, you need more time to just build your business. Because if you're walking into something turnkey, and it's just got to be painted or whatever, the landlords are smart, and they understand that that means reduced fixturing periods, that means they don't have to put cash into the deal, they don't have to do additional landlords work for upgrading services. Um, and that's really where um, working with us, we really flush all of that out. We understand what each space is, um, what it looks like from before we're in there, what we know we can get the landlord to agree to in landlord's work. So that could be something as simple as an as is, where is deal, where if you're walking into a turnkey operation, uh, you can just take it and you're not concerned about them doing any additional work. 
or to the example uh, for the deal we did with Starks in Aurora, we looked at a former uh, QSR, so quick service restaurant space. Well, we had the landlord go in there uh, prior to us taking possession and they actually ripped all of the equipment out and brought the entire unit back to what's called shell condition. So just base building, white walled services were distributed based off of the old tenant's floor plan. But essentially any work outside of that was taken on by the tenant minus, uh, I, I believe we got them to kick in a bunch of money for the plumbing work that was involved. So that was a great way to look at it. Uh, and like the money that they threw together for specifically that example for the plumbing work, like just that amount, not to mention all of the other uh, incentives that were involved in that deal, that I'm pretty sure covered basically our fee to the franchise. Yep. 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 A hundred percent. I, I, I think too, like, you know, I, I, you're talking and I'm thinking about, and I, I love how we keep getting back to like, everything is customized. Everything is fluid, you know, different situations present different circumstances and different, you know, approaches. And like when we were moving our, our very first store in, in Markham and, and we, we, we just wanted to move off this main street, you know, the buildings were old and tired. The one we were in was kind of falling apart. It was, there were huge parking challenges in the summertime because it was a big destination spot for people to come and walk around and stuff. So, so we moved literally 30 seconds up the road to this brand new, beautiful complex that was built. Um, and the landlord was really excited to have us because they were trying to fill out like the last couple of spaces. And we were just such a nice fit. They already had like a Roots Chris Steakhouse and a Rolex dealer and some, some high-end stuff, Golf Town, which draws, you know, heavily mail. And, and so they were, they were just ecstatic about having Starks. And to the point of you know, the financial stability of the tenant, we had already been in business in town for about seven years. So we got a really good deal there where we got a bunch of cash from the landlord to do our, our, our renovations and our move and, and, and a bunch of free rent. So we had a lot of overlap. So, you know, we were able to like transition from one spot to the next, literally where I think we closed for a weekend and then we were back open Monday at our new spot. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. It's so, it's so, customizable and every approach requires the right strategy. And that's kind of what you guys bring. And I wanted to chat quickly about partnerships. Like you, Can I just say know, one it, thing just on that? Yeah, note no, please. Yeah. Uh, so just on the customization and, and you bring up a really good example where you got a lot of those deals. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand uh, what's called covenant in a deal and how that plays out to these kind of incentives that are being offered. So landlords, unless they're in a desperate situation, which it hasn't been that way for a very long time, they are making sure that they are protected if in the uh, worst case scenario, tenant defaults and is unable to continue in the space. So that's um, important for franchisees to understand because we don't have corporate covenant, which is what you would have provided in that market location, I believe. Um, they have a lesser strength covenant. So that means they're going to be signing a lease with a new company, doesn't have any financial history, doesn't have anything for them to review, or if in the event they go under, it doesn't leave the landlord anything to go after. Uh, and so it's really important for franchisees to understand that because you won't get the same sort of incentives unless you're willing to provide what's called a personal indemnity. And that's where you're putting your personal finances on the hook. So that could be your home, your cars. Um, you have to go through a whole financial due diligence process where the landlords really uh, flush out 
uh, the covenant in the deal and what they can offer based off of that. So that's really important for groups to understand because it's not just like a franchisee comes together and you're going to get a TA, you're going to get net rent free periods, you're going to get all of this additional incentive. It really depends um, based on a, a number of different things, but one really important factor is that covenant in the deal. Yeah, great point. I want to dovetail off of that because it speaks to like, you know, at one point, I think we were we were opening our third store, Ryan and I, and we had personal covenant out the wazoo. Like I like they, they couldn't eat. They, the, the three landlords that I had would be fighting each other to collect what I owned <laughs> if it didn't go well. But we had a lot of confidence because we had been running the businesses. And I think that you get you get a lot of confidence when you're buying into a franchise network versus bringing in an idea that you've, you've never tested before. And so, and that's one thing. And then the other thing is like, when this stuff really starts to play itself out in, in a, in a, in a scenario where something goes wrong, um, you know, which we haven't experienced yet, not through COVID or, or otherwise, but I suspect that it comes with an attitude from the landlord where it's like, Hey, hang in there. You know, we're going to start looking. If we can find you a replacement, you're going to have to eat some of the, the period that we give them for free to turn over the space. We're not going to pay for your failures. But if, if we can get someone in there, you know, great. You, you might have a sublease clause where you can get to work on it. So there's a, there's a few fail safes. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to make sure that you're confident in, in what you're doing. And, and obviously, if you're buying into a network that already has a proven model, like, like a franchise system, um, you, can, you can have a little bit more peace of mind. Um, I think, yeah, so I wanted to get into, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I I think it's really important to point out to everyone, um, how Stark specifically is involved in the entire process. Um, so we have a condition in our deals for franchise or approval and senior management approval. And that's essentially Steve and Ryan just giving the uh, green light on based off of their understanding of the business um, and now all of the deal terms presented. And that's really important. Um, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about other franchises. I think uh, there's definitely a, uh, a spectrum in terms of good franchises versus bad. And I think Starks really falls on the great side of things where you guys are involved from every step. So it's not just a okay, guys, here's a group and send us a final offer once it's ready to go and we'll sign off. Like you guys are really involved step by step and that provides a lot of comfort to the franchisees. Uh, You might, they might have had in mind like, oh, I'm working in a smaller market. I'm expecting to pay $7,000 a month. um, And that's kind of what I've budgeted for. And when we actually turn over some of these really great opportunities, maybe it's a $10,000 or $9,000 or $8,000 and it's higher than they were expecting. Well, that might freak a franchisee out and they might just say, listen, we get you recommending this plaza, but it's just way above our budget and we don't think that we can bite that off. Well, then it's a really handy to have people like you and Ryan at the table that can say, guys, we have done our own locations, very staggering amounts of rent between each. The business model works this way. We're very confident based off of all of the deal terms presented that you actually will be a success here because... Um, it might just be an additional couple haircuts a day or whatever that is. You guys really, I, I don't want to say hold the hands because these franchisees are really sophisticated, but you guys really uh, hammered those, the confidence in a deal home. And that's really important for franchisees because putting your name on that signature line, like that's definitely got to be the most nerve wracking point for them in the deal. But knowing that you have a group behind you 
like Starks that's saying that's behind you and saying, guys, like this is the right deal. This is perfect. You're going to do really well. I think that really helps franchisees get comfortable at that stage. Yeah. And I think it's something that they should look for. And I always talk about it. It's like, look for, you know, the, 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 the attitude, the, the, anything that feels like these guys are going to support me or these people care intrinsically about the brand and the business and their franchisees. And this is one perfect example where that support really comes in handy. I actually have, I I would say our greatest customer at Starks um, going all the way back to, to opening week, maybe he walked in and we've become friends over the years and he works for one of the largest uh, QSR franchise burger brands in, in Canada. Um, and he's been with them since he worked in one of their restaurants back in the 1960s. And, and he, he does all of their location stuff um, in tandem with uh, their brokers. And so I spent a lot of time with him and I'm trying to trying to bug him to get him in the Starks lounge here on the podcast. And um, it's like, you, you, it's unique, right? Because you can buy into, like you said, a very, very large network. And it's just like, yeah, these are our people. These are who we work with. We don't have anything to do with the process. Let's know when a deal is done versus, you know, we have this gentleman or this lady that works for us. And, um, you know, they, they specifically do these deals and, and look at spaces and consult with you on the business side and what's going to make sense and what's not nurture you. And again, it's just nurture, nurture, nurture. And that's like what you should get out of a franchise network. And it's easier when they're smaller, but obviously there's more risk, but if you can get involved in a like moderately, you know, larger outfit and get access, it's like, are there people there that want to support you? Do they have resources in place that, that yeah, for, for lack of a better term, Kevin are going to hold your hand, like mm-hmm. you said, because it's a nice feeling to have. And, and it, this is a good segue, you know, cause, cause this gentleman kind of has been a bit of a mentor to me in terms of my franchising efforts. So I want to talk about mentorship and partnership. I mean, you have, a partner that you work a lot with McLean and, and, you know, he, he obviously works with us well, uh, you know, on all of our deals and, and I want like in, in your space, it's kind of like, you know, you have this partnership and I suspect it's a little bit more than just managing workload. You know, I think that, that, that you and McLean are a good team. Talk to me about the team environment. I just want to learn a little bit about the soft skills that you guys have. I always say you guys would make amazing franchisees for Starks because Again, you're, you're, you have great people skills and, and you like being around people. And those are all like, you know, the transferables that we look for. But, um, you know, talk to me about, you know, working with McLean and being involved in a partnership and teamwork at Avis and Young and, you know, how that benefits, you know, your clients. Absolutely. So to your point, Steve, I, it, it's not about workload. I mean, it, it does play into it's some, uh, a very minor portion into the overall decisions of who we work with, but Ultimately, the idea of the partnerships is you're working with someone that is um, going to play off your strengths and going to provide their own. Uh, McLean and I are a really good example. We joke about this a lot of times before uh, franchisee calls or calls with you, Steve, where um, he calls me the bad cop. I call him the good cop. We have different approaches how we like to um, handle the conversations with franchisees. So I like to really set them up for what to expect in an offer. And it might be over cumbersome for the first conversation, they might feel like it's an overwhelming amount of information, or he's just telling me like, we're going to have to anticipate this negotiation, this, this, and this before we've even turned it around. And McLean's always really good at reeling me back in and just 
calming things down, being the good cop and saying, guys, it's a long process. We'll hold your hand every step of the way. If there's a question, we'll answer it. We don't need to like slam you with a bunch of information. Calvin's trying to do everything to prepare you, but ultimately we're here from step one to step, whatever it finishes at, and we'll answer any questions along the way. And so specifically McLean and I, like, I love working with him. I think he's, um, he really has a different approach to real estate in terms of how he handles people. Um, and I really like working with that type of person because um, it, it plays off of my strengths. So I, I'm a negotiator. I like to get in front of these things. I like to uh, really get into the nitty gritty and, and hammer that out. And McLean understands uh, not to say he's not great at the negotiation because he absolutely is, but he definitely has um what I'll say is, is a more personable feeling to him where it's less about the numbers and those nitty gritty. And it's about getting to know one another. And I always try and learn from him on that side of things. Uh, and so that's just a great way of how to look at why I love working with McLean on that side of things. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I remember hearing Michael Eisner speak once he had, he had recently written a book about partnerships and this is a good 10 years ago, but a lot of people didn't know that Bill Gates had Paul Allen and Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak and, so some of those guys have come to the forefront after some of these companies have had astounding success, but the, the partnerships kind of work in that way. And I think like, yeah, you guys have to manage expectations. Um, and, you know, th there is like a good cop, bad cop is, is a great strategy in that sense, because you have to deliver the information. But it's also like exactly what you touched on, which was what, you know, Michael Eisner's big thesis was, was that like, you bring different skill sets to the table and you merge them and two is better than one in that sense. And, and so, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Now I just want to pivot to mentorship. Um, mentorship is a big part of franchising. You know, franchisees are basically paying a fee to be mentored by us. Um, obviously we've had multiple runs of success over time and they want that mentorship in addition to other things that they're relying us like, on us to do, like build a brand, et cetera. So, so, you know, I imagine it's the same in your world. You know, people who have been in the game for a very long time have seen many circumstances and deals play out. You know, uh, going back to, to the relationship topic um, that we discussed earlier, these mentors can have, you know, really great deep-rooted relationships with um, people on the other side that were cultivated over long periods of time, et cetera. Um, talk about your network, what mentors mean to you, and how they help you drive more value for your clients and how they've helped you kind of, uh, you know, um, along the way in your career. Yeah. So, um, a bit of a, I, Avison has a really wide network of, uh, what they call emerging leaders. So anyone under five years and then everyone beyond that, um, our retail side of things, we don't actually have a ton of age behind us, uh, uh, a couple of the people are breaking 30, um, but generally we're a younger group. And so that mentorship side of things um, is there on a sense that our network is so wide because if we ever run into a situation where we're trying to get a hold of an off-market uh, opportunity and the landlord's just not returning my phone call because I've never had the pleasure of speaking with them, well, I can send a note to our entire Ontario office, our entire Canada office, and I can say, guys, does anyone have a relationship, has ever had a relationship, or has been trying to uh, establish a relationship with the below entity or the below group. And this literally happened to us four months ago, where we were at a standstill in a deal, the landlord just put his foot up and said, 
listen, guys, like I am not negotiating this any further. You take it or leave it. And it was not a great deal in favor of our client. And we just sent a note out to the uh, group in Ontario and said, guys, does anyone have some experience here? We need to know if this guy's playing ball, if he's just playing hardball or if, or if there is room to come back to him and push. And within 30 minutes, I was driving back from Ottawa. Within 30 minutes of sending that email, I had two different senior brokers reach out to me and say, give me a shout whenever. I've had plenty of experience with them. Like they can be an interesting character, but you can definitely talk them off the ledge here and, and, and kind of work out a better deal. And that's ultimately what happened. So I had an hour long phone call with uh, one of the individuals. They talked me through their experience with this landlord and how they handled when they came up against uh, a similar roadblock. And it literally 360 the deal. And it went from them putting their hands up and saying, no more, we're done negotiating to, okay, like, we understand where you're coming from. Like, it's not what we would typically agree to. It's not what we like to agree to. But thank you for presenting it in this light. It's made us look at it a different way. And now we're willing to at least look at an additional layer of negotiations. And so as much as we don't have what we call gray hair on our team, um, we do have a, a lot of gray hair throughout the company. We're now global. Uh, I believe we're well over 5,000 employees uh, around the world and we're continuing to grow. So eventually, because uh, we know what's going to happen once start starts to expand into uh, outside of Ontario, outside of Canada even, um, we can tap on those relationships and say, we're bringing this great group. They've done 30 locations in Ontario. They're a huge success. They want to expand to Western Canada. We have an entire group of people out there that understands that market. And to my, one of the first points you made on this call, Steve, was making sure you're working with a group that understands the market you're transacting in. We're not going to sit here and turn around and say, I know everything about the Vancouver market. I'm just going to do it for you. No worries. I'll get someone else to sign the or, or transact it through because we can't in Ontario transact in other provinces, that type of thing. We don't do that. We work with our groups that we know, know the market in their respective markets. And we really like hand them off. We bring them up to speed in terms of our whole process. We're even involved most of the time from start to finish still. Um, but we ultimately turn them over and say, guys, we have the right group for you to work with in this market. They have so much more knowledge than us based off of comps, uh, what availability vacancies are looking like, that type of thing. And then we pass them off. And so um, I, I kind of got a little off topic on in, in terms of mentors, but I think it's really good to understand the network that the group you're working with has. And so our network, although not directly working above me and telling me what to do on a day-to-day -day basis, they're there for me to reach out to and say, guys, like, I need some help on this. I've tried every other angle. Can someone give me some help? And I haven't run into a circumstance yet where someone in Avison isn't able to give me that help. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with the question because I know that, again, it's so valuable. I've had the experience myself in a previous deal. I remember that, you know, our, our location uh, at Young and Lawrence there in Toronto was a space that wasn't for sale or for lease. It was just vacant. And the broker, um, somebody in the office had a very longstanding relationship with the, the landlord, which actually happened to be the Soroya family who owns Yogenfrus and who founded it many, many years ago. And I've since become, um, I wouldn't say friends, but there's a professional relationship there between myself and Michael Soroya. He had, you know, a vacancy from a barbershop in one of his shopping malls and 
said, Hey, Steve, do you want to take on this one? I said, it's not really our thing. We're more of a street front power center kind of concept. Um, but, but, you know, again, it's just like the relationships always play themselves out. And to, to another point you were making, I am, I am definitely quickly becoming one of those gray haired guys. And I'm lucky that I actually chose a business um, where we're, we're pretty good at coloring that out. So maybe I can, I can hang on to my, uh, my, my not being one of those gray haired guys for, for the next little while. But I, I think that in your business, those relationships are really important. I've seen them play out. Uh, again, I don't think it's an old, old boys club mentality. I think it's a trust mentality. The market is booming. We're looking at towns, even that we do business in, like Stouffville's and, and Brooklyn, uh, North Whitby there that are exploding in terms of growth and the GTA is exploding. I mean, everybody knows it, right? So basically you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, everybody wants to be in these, these a triple a power centers that draw, you know, all the right type of traffic. And if you're a budget brand, then where better to be than, you know, in the, the, the Walmart or the no frills plaza. And if you're a luxury brand, where better to be than, than in the Longos or the Whole Foods Plaza because they draw, you know, oftentimes tens of thousands of your clients per day. And there's huge value in that, but you can't get your foot in the door if you don't have the proper access, if it's not presented in the right way, if the relationship and the trust isn't there, because then like we've, we've discussed today, you know, there's too much tire kicking, uh, too much time wasted, and uh, ultimately, um, you know, they want the best offering for, for the people shopping in, in, in said plazas and whatnot. So they want to look at only the best of the best. So great insight today, Calvin. I want to thank you a ton for being uh, hanging out with me in the Starks Lounge. That, that, like, this is exactly what I wanted to get out of this podcast recording um, that I've, I've aptly titled, you know, everything you don't know about commercial real estate. I think our listeners will learn a lot. And I think I'm going to make a lot of prospects um, who I chat with about real estate, listen to this episode and, um, and get the real insights from you. So thanks again for being with me and for all the work you do for Starks. Absolutely, Steve. Thanks for bringing me on. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Starks Barbercoe.